Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. exciting episode of the Storybox podcast. Today, my friends, I'm delighted to welcome someone who many, many of you have been requesting and asking me to get her on my show. And I'm so grateful that she did say yes. And I cannot wait to dive into her amazing research today with you all. Uh, her name is Jennifer Bilek or Bilek. Did I get that correct, Jennifer? Bilek. Bilek. i was practicing for ages, <laughs> had to make sure that I got it correct. Uh, Jennifer, instead of me regurgitating or, or sharing all of the incredible things that you do in the world and all the research that you've been involved in that many, many would be very familiar watching this, would you be willing to share who you are, what you do and why you do it? Sure. Um. Well, first and foremost, I'm an artist. I'm a painter. Um, and I knew that about myself very, very young, probably 12 or 13. Um, I mean, I was always very creative, but I found my soul in painting at, at that age, and I, I never stopped. Um, and it's been an absolute gift to my life. I couldn't be luckier in that regard. Um, and beyond that, I'm a writer. I'm a political activist. I've campaigned for the rights of women. I've campaigned for the health of the environment. Um, I've done a lot of uh, social work. I have been a voracious reader my entire life. I'm an autodidact. I've never been to a university in my life. Um, it's probably one of the qualities that I like best about myself because I'd be absolutely insufferable if I had um, any kind of university education. Um, but, you know, my intelligence, I feel, is very grounded. You know, it's very rooted in um in how shall i say a blue collar upbringing and um the natural world and um a genuine care for humanity um yeah and so now people would call me gender critical. <laughs> I don't know if I'm exactly that, but um, 
I am researching now and have been for the past decade, um, the intersection of technology, what people call transgenderism, what I call the synthetic sex industry, and um, the market, how the market is driving um, people's dissociation from biological reality and how they're dissociating because of it. So yeah, that's kind of like who I am. <laughs> well, welcome so much to the Storybox podcast. It's really a pleasure to have you here. And Thank I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll touch on all your research in just a moment. But I guess my, my very first question for you is, how are you doing? How are things in your world currently? Wow, I feel pretty blessed. You know, right now I'm sitting in a, um, in a hotel room very close to the ocean, <laughs> four blocks from the ocean. And, um, you know, I have people in my life that love me and I have really good, important work that I'm doing. And, um, yeah, I mean, for me, having important work to do in the world is, it's just, it's a kicker, man. It's a kicker to be here, to be human and to have all these things to do and to share with other people and, you know, it's good. It's a good life. I agree with you on the being blessed side of things. I think my, my handle, my tagline and all my emails is be blessed. And it's just sort of like a reminder for people that there are uh, an enormous amount of blessings in the world to be received by each and every one of us. And then we should never take any of those blessings for granted, even though I don't know about you, Jennifer, but I've sometimes I have taken them for granted, uh, but that's just the process of life sometimes. And I guess with all of your, your writings and your interest levels, you did touch on the fact that you do write about gender or you're gender critical, as they say nowadays, why, why is this subject important to talk about? Why is gender becoming so, so, so such the norm to talk about nowadays? Well, I mean, I don't really like the fact that people are obsessing over gender when the more important issue is sex mm. and it's dissolution, it's corporate technological, political, linguistic, and material dissolution. I think this is of paramount importance because we are rooted in sex. We are rooted to the biological environment by sex, and this is part of why it's being deconstructed. So this is the really important conversation that we should be having, but most people are still talking about it on the, um, on the level of gender. And it's a very confusing word because it means different things to different people. Um, as a feminist, a woman who has campaigned for women's rights, I understand um, gender from the aspect of sex role stereotypes that are imposed upon us. 
um, where women actually get the shitty end of that stick because you know the you know we get all the non-active qualities and we have to demure to men. Um, now, um, you know, conservatives would probably say, um, you know, these are propensities that are sex related. You know, women are more relational because they have children um, and, and such like that. I, I never have enough good examples of what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so there's that. And I think that there are biological propensities for men and women. And I think that people don't always fit into those uh, propensities. Um, and I think that's fine. Mm. You know, rock stars, uh, musicians, artists, you know, have always, you know, sort of played around with um, stereotypes, you know, sometimes adopting the, the, the roles of the opposite sex. You know, in the 60s, we had men running around in, in um, flowered shirts and long hair, much to the horror of their fathers who were, you know, running around in, um, what were those hats called that I love so much? Uh, the fedora. Oh, the fedoras, yeah. Oh, I miss the fedora. <laughs> I, I love the fedora. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. Um, so yeah, you know, people have been, been doing that because strict role stereotypes are obnoxious. They're constricting, you know, and people want freedom, you know, and especially the youth. Youth are naturally rebellious and they you know, they're looking for themselves and, you know, that starts to happen around puberty, you know, when they start to become uh, adults sexually. And, um, you know, so they play around with that and that's all normal and I think it's good and I think it's fine. You know, I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, but now as technology advances, uh, they are picking up on on that element, you know, that rebelliousness, they're, they're rebelling against sex role stereotypes, but they're also picking up on a corporate agenda to basically um, dismantle sex, reproductive sex, and turn it over to the market, you know, to the, uh, to, to the tech sector, the medical tech sector. Um, yeah, I mean, men's intrusion into women's um, reproductive capacities has been happening at a breakneck pace anyway. And this is just, you know, um, you add this fetish of adult men, autogynephilia, um, and it's really, uh, it's really, I mean, we're getting to the point where we, they're exploring wombs for men, um, not only for them to experience birth, which is just the most outrageous, you know, <laughs> most outrageous thing you can possibly think of, but also to keep those wombs in men so that they can have the experience of menstruating. So females, you know, socially, linguistically, uh, and in material reality are being assimilated into men, you know, they're being like erased. And this is why, because when reproduction is given over to the medical tech sector, you don't need male and female. And this is the direction that they're going. 
Now this started out as a fetish of adult men, a compulsion, a sexual compulsion to own womanhood for themselves. There was transvestic fetishism. Originally, men used to wear women's clothing and adopt their mannerisms and group together and perform these stereotypes and uh, what they thought women were. Mm. And, <clears throat> and they created groups, you know, to do this because they couldn't do it out in public. Well, then, you know, medical tech advanced to the point where they could make uh, reasonable <laughs> synthetic simulacrums of women's biology and men started to adopt that as well transsexualism so we graduate from transvestic fetishism to transsexual fetishism so and fetish is really it's an objectification and it's a compulsion and it usually escalates so you have this fetish and the object of this fetish is womanhood and this actually advances in our culture at the same time that pornography uh, enters the culture. Um, and I'm talking about pornography industry. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about naked pictures of women or naked pictures of men, blah, blah, blah. But it, as an industry, like Playboy magazine was the first magazine um, that brought pornography and the sexual objectification of women for entertainment for men into the home so then it becomes an industry and it happened within a year of the first american man running off to wherever he went to get his surgery to present himself as a female and then come back to america and be celebrated this was 1952 1953 christine jorgensen was his name or his adopted name and so these these two uh, institutions really these two industries come up together in the culture um, and as they escalate they um, become more and more extreme and bizarre and they're they're driven by profit mm. so you have um more men adopting these surgeries you know getting these surgeries um and you have more and more depraved pornography and what i mean by depraved is it's more objectifying it's more um based on degradation and humiliation instead of just oh you know isn't she a sexy woman kind of thing right yeah and all of the porn that's um men are watching in private is pushed out into the culture because they cannot um, be stimulated by the same porn for eons. You know, it has yeah. to change, it has to be amped up. So the porn that they're watching in 1950s, 1960s, 1970s is all driven out into the culture. So now you can watch like Megan the Stallion, you know, ride around on a music stage and um, perform all these sexual activities, um, as well as other music stars. And, you know, you don't have too many like Joni Mitchells anymore. You don't have too many Patti Smiths anymore. You know, you don't have women out there, uh, you know, performing, you know, music, just performing music. They're, they're performing sexual, you know, music also. So 
or they're sexualizing themselves and performing music. Um, so yeah, so that porn is pushed out into the culture and then the, the porn that they're watching, you know, in private becomes more and more depraved. So yeah, and the industry in transsexualism advances and advances and advances because, you know, more men are choosing this and porn is supporting it, the objectification of women, the entitlement to women's bodies, uh, men's entitlement to women's bodies for entertainment, for sexual pleasure, for kink. Um, and so these two things are coming up together and the market drives them. And the uh, medical industry is, you know, gotten pretty good at making synthetic simulacrums of other people's sex, right? So now they've turned humanity into a set of Lego, uh, you know, Lego dolls, basically. Um, and this is why sex is being promoted as it's actually on a spectrum now. It, it's not binary, it's not male and female, it's, you know, women can have penises, men can have breasts, and, you know, and all this new lingo and this whole gender stuff. It's because they're cutting us up for the market. Yeah. Under capitalism, you know, you have to, you know, interject here at any time because I'll just run amok. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. I'm, I'm listening. I've got so many questions that, that I want to ask you. I guess my first one to interject with, and it may sort of like flow on with everything else that you want to say, and feel free to talk for however long you want as well. Um you mentioned that the technology and, and you've got all these organizations and companies that are really involved with this and you've got the medical industry that are trying to, I guess, make men experience birth and menstru menstruation and all that sort of stuff. Do you actually foresee that happening down the line or cause the, the complications to even transplanting a female womb into a male body I mean, they haven't been able to do it successfully yet because of male, male body wasn't designed for any of that. And I can't imagine the surgery involved to change the structure of a male pelvis and male internal organs to even fit a female womb. And then it also begs the question of the ethical issues with that. Whose womb are you going to be using? Are they going to create one artificially? And does that also like the female eggs? What are you going to like? Where are you going to get those from? They're going to be artificial as well. I mean, there's just so many questions. Have you found any like answers to any of this within your research? Big question. I no, know. I don't think it's possible that that's going to happen. Um, I think it's absolutely insane. I think it's really, really harmful and unethical and amoral yep. um, to even think about doing these things. Um, and I think that, you know, and a lot of people will say to me sometimes, well, they'll never, they'll never get to that point. You know, as if that matters. What mm. matters is, stopping this what matters is um 
how people are being harmed already from just the little bit that they've already done. I mean, they've shoved this out into the culture, you know, really not more than a decade ago. I mean, it was happening, but it wasn't really shoved in our faces until a decade ago. And then, you know, the promotion of this, the marketing of this has been absolutely relentless to the point where it's really almost like cult indoctrination and certainly is for the youth who can't understand what they're looking at. Um, and the harm to society, which is organized around our sexual dimorphism, is absolute, it's absolute chaos already. Mm. I mean, one woman died in a hospital because she was pregnant and they thought she was a man. And she didn't tell them. You know, um, detransitioners, I mean, they call themselves detransitioners. They've never transitioned to anything in the first place. They've had, you know, basically a medical assault on their sex. Yeah. Um, that's been allowed to happen. This is absolutely criminal. This is criminal behavior that's going on out there by the medical establishment. And they're coming forth in droves now, um, you know, with all sorts of harms and regret you know, harms to their body that they cannot correct now. Um, and yeah, so it's already so disruptive to society. I mean, to do this and to try and change, force language changes in the way that they're doing this is just, it's not going to go well. You know, it's not going to go well. It's like trying to colonize the whole world and, um, you know, steal all its resources and never give back and expect that things are going to go well, you know? And now we have mega millions of tons of radioactive water going into the ocean at Fukushima because they don't know what to do with the waste. You know, we've already had nuclear disasters. We've had massive, massive oil spills. We have gyres of plastic in the middle of the ocean that we don't know what to do with. And our clean water has been stolen from us and is now being sold back to us in plastic bottles that wind up in these gyres or wind up in our system. There's dioxin plastic in every mother's breast milk on the planet now. You know, you know, so this is kind of like this is this is like that, except it's us. It's not the planet anymore. Now it's us. We're being colonized, basically, for the market. We're being taken apart, disassembled for the market. We're much, much more profitable as genes, as breasts, as uh, penises, as sperm, as ovaries, as wombs, etc. You know, and all of this is coming at us. And you see, this is what people don't really get because they're not really looking at this part. But this is all happening at the same time that we've left the digital age, we've left the information age, and we've, you know, we've come into the age of um, biotechnical manipulation of humanity. You know, genetic engineering, CRISPR, change your DNA, you know, artificial reproduction, technological reproduction, mm. growing babies in a dish, um, stem cell research, you know, taking the, the stem cells off of a mouse's tail and and uh, growing embryos in a dish or whatever they're doing. I mean, they're just doing so many incredible things. And, you know, at not even just the, you know, reproductive level, but, you know, you have robot soldiers, you have, you know, 
incredible prosthetics, which is really amazing. I mean, that's a really good thing. But none of these techniques are going to be up to us moving forward, like what they do with them. I mean, just look at your planet. Just look at what's happened to your planet. You know, you'll, you'll see what, how much ethics takes apart in all these developments. They don't. It's like, you know, elites, the very, very elite, they live in bubbles. They live in bubbles of their own creation. And they don't understand what's going on in the rest of the world. It's all about this extreme narcissism and incentive entitlement to everything, including life. Mm. I think going back on, on your point regarding this overtly sexual world that we are living in, technology has only enabled that or enhanced it to so that we have more and more access to being able to see this kind of material, which is doing a lot of damage to our finite brains. And there's also the thought process surrounding just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should in fact do it because there's implications regarding if we were to do something that is going to harm not only ourselves, but also the planet and everything else around that. But it's just like, oh, we need to do it anyway because we've got, we've got the ability to do it. No hold on a second, slow down. You've got to look at the, not only the ethical, but the moral implications. And I know people go, well, forget the moral implications. That doesn't mean anything. That's just like a, um, it's a ridiculous point of an argument. I've heard people say that to me. It doesn't mean anything. And I go, well, what about the ethical implications of, of some of the things that you are proposing? I mean, the fact that the medical industry is chopping up, and mutilating and castrating the next generation of young people, they don't see that as an issue. They see that as a good thing because now the narrative has shifted into this feeling is good somehow. So it's, it's rather interesting to me how you have these people that have taken the Hippocratic oath and gone, we will do no harm, but yet somehow they've convinced themselves by doing this, it's actually going to be good the child and the level of narcissism that is involved with it. Like <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, I don't know about you, Jennifer, but like narcissism we've seen is definitely on the rise, but why is that the case? Is it mainly because they've gotten a huge incentive to be more narcissistic or is the fact that human beings nowadays have been indoctrinated somewhere that narcissism is, is in fact good? Does it make sense? Um, I think so. Um, I think the biggest problem is that we're so ensconced in technology now. I mean, I talk a lot about transhumanism um, and how this, the issue that I research relates to transhumanism and is sort of a, an on-ramp to or a grooming process for transhumanism uh, and lifting us out of our humanity. Um, but we're so ensconced in technology um, that we grow further and further dissociated from, from each other, from connection, connection to each other, connection to land, connection to our children, connection to the people we were born to. Um, 
you know, TV, you know, we, when we had TV, at least when we had TV, all people were getting the same news all over the place, right? So you could sort of have a similar reaction to it, but now you have so many different versions of so, so much different news all over the world. And so much of it is negative news because negative news sells. So you're having this come at you 24 seven, as much as you're on your computer, you're having all this information just thrown at you. And the most horrible shit going on in the world is just, you know, it's in your face 24 seven. And you, like you said earlier, we're not really built for that. So what we do to cope with that is to dissociate because it's too much, it's traumatic. And the same with porn, violent, violent porn. I mean, we weren't built for that. Sex was for intimacy. And now it's being, you know, dissociated from that, you know, that bonding process. It's just sex. It's just having a good time. It's just getting off, you know? So, and then when we, you know, uh, you know, planes came into the picture and, you know, communities were just completely fractured because people could move all over the place, you know, not just maybe to a neighboring state, but across the ocean or across the continent you know so you're not you're not growing up with your family anymore or the people in your tribe you know your grandparents your cousins you know you're not having the same you're not building the same kind of history with these people you're all separated from one another Mm -hmm. right and so then you get together once a year at christmas and you throw your lives up on each other and that's supposed to be meaningful after you consume a lot of gifts that you bought at the store. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. So as technology advances and advances, we don't realize how much it's, it's, you know, it's pulling us all apart and it's dissociating us even from ourselves. Mm. You know, most people think, you know, food grows at the supermarket, you know? I mean, it's remarkable, right? They don't have any connection at all to their food. If you had to, you know, if you had to live off the land, you know, one summer, you know, if if the local, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, supermarket closed, you're just shit out of luck. Yeah. You know, you can't support yourself, and you're an animal on a planet where every other planet, every other species, can support itself off the land, right? So we've so we'll become, we'll become a soft species. We've made ourselves really soft. And I think that is a tragic thing. Like men nowadays, they don't feel like they need to work. Women as well, they don't feel like they need to have kids or raise a family. There's a lot of messages that are being sent out into the world today of how you don't need to be this way. You can be this, you can be that. Well, hang on a minute. Let's actually do some critical thinking about this. It's life's not just all about sunshine and rainbows and this feeling that I get one minute from the next because my feelings change. You can't be solely reliant on how I feel and just go along with how you feel regarding a certain topic or issue. It doesn't work like that. You got to be a little bit more level-headed and, and grounded in, in a, a sense of reality. 
But I guess the transgender narrative has been one that is not grounded in any sense of reality What one bit. They're trying to remove reality, facts, science, logic, sex-based facts, uh, biology, all those things. They're trying to remove it from the very fabric of existence because it shows the truth and they can't handle the truth. They'd much rather live in this fantasy delusional world, but they're trying to make it so that everyone else has to follow along with them, which I think is just a bunch of insanity. But yet it's now class discrimination. It will be in Queensland, Australia next year to say the definition of what is a woman, an adult human female. You won't be allowed to say that because it's going to be class discrimination. And I'm going, how is that good? It's not good. So don't force me to go along with it. But they will. And government level authorities and you name it, they're at that point where they're just going, we need to be all inclusive, but they're actually excluding people that are living in a reality world and they're replacing it with delusion. Exactly. Well, you know, Yuval Harari, who works with Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum, mm. uh, espouses that very thing that, you know, we're creating a virtual reality that we're overlaying on the natural world, which is absolutely true. We're already in that virtual world, you know, through our technology. Um, but they want to really just take it to the zenith, you know, take it wherever it will go. I mean, personally, I feel like um, we don't really have... Um, the earth doesn't really have the resources left to continue this pipe dream uh, of theirs, this like techno utopia. Uh, it takes a lot of, you know, material resources to build tech, mm. you know, and to sustain it. And the earth is not, it's, it's not infinite, you know, it's a planet and it has, you know, uh, finite gifts to give us. And I think it's getting a little cranky now. Um, yeah. And um, and I think people are getting a little cranky with this bullshit. You know, it's complete corporate. It's complete corporate hokum. It's just hokum. It really is. And um, it's been captivating. They've created a myth, you know, of a sort of subset of humanity called mm. transgender people. They're so sparkly and special they're so different they're not like the rest of us they transition their sex Woo! you know it's like it's a corporate hallucination it's like a hologram you know what i mean like they're on <laughs> it's like they're on psychedelic drugs <laughs> magic so, mushrooms and you know even the people that are just resisting this whole thing you know uh you know, they still want to hold on to their trans friends. You know what I mean? Like they're 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 like people that have these organizations that are you know promoting people who attempt to disown their sex reality, while claiming to resist this agenda of people who are attempting to disown their sex reality. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. You know, I feel like I'm hallucinating. <laughs> they they want it to look like you're the actual dumb one. Like 
am, am I am I crazy for thinking this? But in reality, no, I'm not crazy. They're the crazy ones. So exactly, it, it's honestly, I think it's amazing how they've managed to do that. Like make people think like they're the crazy one for believing in facts and science. Oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's fascinating. I mean, when you see through it, it's fascinating. Otherwise, it's just people are captivated. They're indoctrinated. Yeah. It's been going on for a decade. The extreme, extreme, you know, propaganda, constant. You can't turn around without hearing this word. Transgender. Transgenderism. And all of a sudden, these kids are falling out of the sky. These transgender children. It's like, you know, I mean, a farmer could make bank on these kids, you know, yeah. years ago. They would have been doing it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> They're doing it now. It's funny. I mean, if it wasn't so tragic, it would be hilarious. Yeah. But it's really, it's tragic. It's tragic. These children are being mauled, medically mauled. I mean, it is just, it, it's hellacious. I don't deal too much with that aspect. I mean, because I, I can't, I can't really stomach it. I mean, I have friends who are, are dealing with that aspect of it and you know, they've cried, yeah. you know, grown men cried over this, you know, and the, the parents' stories are just, I mean, that's just, I can't even go there. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just so heart wrenching and it's so, it could break you. I mean, as a parent, it's just so psychologically damaging to children and parents and to families. It's just beyond. It goes to that level of you're trying to comprehend how that parent must be feeling if their child has associated themselves with this delusional lie and knowing what the parent can do in that moment which is not really much it's like they're taking away the the parents right and responsibility to even be a parent in the first place mm -hmm. and i'm just going that is just pure evil in all its form to think that the parent is somehow abusing the child by wanting them to live in reality with them wanting them right. to have a healthy existence and a healthy upbringing that's not fair. That's actually cruel to allow a child to live in a delusional reality that they've created for themselves or that the transgender mob has decided to create for this child to believe in. And it's just, I, I struggle to even comprehend it. And I've heard stories and I've seen things that I'm just going, what the hell is actually happening? How can you believe in this stuff? Like, it's just, for me, I don't know. I've spoken with, <laughs> I've spoken with Helen, Helen Joyce. I've spoken with uh, Dr. Miriam Grossman. I've spoken with all these incredible people. And even they struggle to explain this. But yet somehow we're forced to go along with it. I'm going, who, <laughs> how do we end it? Well, they're really trying to build like a singularity, like a virtual reality. This yeah. is what's going on here. I mean, how are you going to get a generate the next generation to completely divorce from biological reality? 
It won't happen via the internet just completely. They have to be dissociated physically. Physically. You have to, to break the boundary, the sex boundary, yeah. to have them stop identifying with their actual biological reality. And this is what's going on here. In order to meld humanity with technology more into integrally than it already is you have to break this bond you know and it's a long game mm. but you know sterilizing a whole lot of young people um attaching this to a human rights movement for for people who are same-sex attracted um puts people who will need technological reproduction under the same umbrella and in fact many of the um the uh, rich uh, men, the billionaires driving this ideology um, in the medical sector, in the tech sector, are um, are are uh, funding both the gender industry, uh, gender clinics, of which there are now over four hundred uh, in North America, where there was one in two thousand seven. To this is to medically assault children's sex, these clinics, not even mentioning the adult clinics. Um, and I forgot where I was going with that thought. I apologize. You got all the billionaires that are funding all, of yeah, the are also, um, they're also investing in technological reproduction, like yeah. Mark Bezos, for instance. Uh, Mark Bezos, is it Mark yeah. Bezos, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> I try to keep all these names in my head, but Jeff Bezos of Amazon, he's got a, you know, a fertility platform on Amazon and he's, you know, there's, they're selling hormones, cross sex hormones, wrong sex hormones on Amazon. And he's invested in a gender clinic, $166 million in a, in a clinic in Brooklyn that are, you know, medically assaulting children's sex. Then you have Mark Benioff. He owns Time Magazine. Uh, I think there, there have been like five, people on the cover of uh, Time Magazine now who have sought to disown their sex. And this is promoted on this platform, Time Magazine, as progressive. And he has a gender clinic in California after his name, Benioff uh, Children's Hospital Gender Clinic. And uh, he invests in uh, the fertility market, the re you know technological reproduction market. And they're not alone. This is, uh, you know, this is what they're doing. Mark and Benioff. it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy to people who aren't paying attention yeah. to the broader picture. But I've been taught to, to pay attention to the broader picture as well as the minutia because I'm a painter. I'm a portrait painter. I'm taught, I've learned how to see. And I've stepped back and I've done the research and this is what is being presented. Now, when people tell me, oh, that sounds so crazy, I'm like, you think this sounds crazy? Try this on. Men can be women if they say so. <laughs> and we're going to change the world to accommodate this thought process. That is what's insane. And I can tell you now, you know, governments, politicians, international law firms, international corporations are not uh, going along with this because of a few people's, you know, feelings about their identity. Mm. They do not give a crap about your gender identity. They give a crap about dissociating you from sex reality. 
because it's going to be profitable. It's profitable for the market for you to be deconstructed, you know, as a human being, as a sex human being, it's integral. You know, you're much more profitable that way than you are as a holy sexed human being. Mm. And this is the way you open markets. I mean, part of it being under the LGB banner is also, you know, opening markets and sex identity. You know, you can't get any more sex identities out of a sexually dimorphic species than heterosexual, lesbian, gay, or bisexual. Where are you going to go with that? This is a $3.7 trillion market. Whoa. This space, this lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender marketing base, $3.7 trillion. That's a lot of capital. That's a lot of power to cross market to other uh, industries and corporations. You know, you, you know, you go on with, you know, you get on board with this gender identity crap and we're going to, you know, we're going to send our constituency to your company, mm. you know. Uh, but it opens markets in, you know, in sexual identity. Lesbian, gays, and bisexual uh, civil rights movement was basically colonized during the AIDS crisis, you know, by the medical industry, you know, and pharma was profiting big time from men getting sick from AIDS. Now, when AIDS was brought under control, woo, that's a lot of bank going down the drain. What are we going to do now? So then the next issue was gay marriage. Uh, and in 2000, late 90s, early 2000s, was, were when the two big kahunas, this is when AIDS dissipated, the two big kahunas, the LGBT organizations, which were then LGB organizations, came up in the United States, right? And so, and they start to promote gay marriage. Now, as a liberal, a once diehard liberal, I thought, um, <laughs> I was like, yay, you know, of course, of course we support this. Gay marriage, gay marriage, of course. Couldn't be civil unions, had to be marriage, mm. right? But what this, so this, what this was, was tying gender ideology to our political apparatus, right? Uh, so once they secure gay marriage, then the T comes in. Boom. And now we start to deconstruct sex via gender identity, right? So you really have brought in a fox into the LGB hen house here because, you know, you can't be same-sex attracted unless <laughs> there's sex, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sexual dimorphism. It's just, it's so much insanity. And it's really, really hard for people to understand what's going on. Because there's so many tentacles. It's a real hydra. And, um, but once you start to look at the money and the industry, and I did that early, so I got clear really fast. And for me to just get people up to speed, because I didn't really have a very big platform, you know, to get people up, even up to speed that it was big pharma and the medical tech sector behind this was just, it, it was, you know, pushing a boulder up a hill. I was considered a conspiracy theorist. I still am, because now I've moved the goalposts because the, the transhumanist element is really the big kahuna, you know? Well, it's Moving like, us out of our biological sex reality into, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, just imagine, what does that mean? You don't, you don't have sex for procreation or intimacy anymore. You just, you know, it's just for, uh, just for kicks. 
<laughs> you go get your baby in the in the in the factory. We're not associated with that, right? Tell me about it. It's kind of like the opioid crisis as well in America with OxyContin. People didn't think that there was a problem, and the ones that actually voiced the concern that hey, it's um, Purdue and Big Pharma. They're the ones that is pushing it. They're killing millions of Americans, you know, and they were shut down. Did you see Dope Sick? I did. I loved it. Oh, my God. It was just incredible, right? It was so good. Rinse and repeat. Sorry? Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. And they're doing the exact same thing, just on a much larger scale, and they're involving kids now. Big Pharma is involved incredibly and enormously. And you have all these billionaires that are funding not just the research or lack thereof, I should say. It's not really research. It's more just give them cross-sex hormones, give them something that their body isn't naturally supposed to have. That's changed the narrative in political areas. Like you you look at some people that talk and they stand up in, in political spaces and, and they start going, uh, like who is the rest of society to say that this person can't live the way they want to live? Like just leave them alone. I'm going, hang on a minute. They don't want, they don't want that. They want complete control. And the politician has got no right to say we should leave them alone because they're the ones that are indoctrinating and going to little kids and telling little kids that, Hey, you're born in the wrong body. You can change. They're the ones going on social media and spreading all these messages around to little kids that are seeing it. that don't even know how to comprehend all that stuff. And I wonder how many politicians are actually being paid to say this. Like, I wonder how the level of corruption that I've been seeing Jennifer at the moment is absurd. It's absolutely outrageous, but I've also, I'm smart enough and I don't care if people call me a conspiracy theorist or not, but I've seen just trends and signs. Isn't it great when you don't care? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so I, I wish. I just don't give a shit. <laughs> I wish I didn't care, but I, the fact is I do. Like I, I want to... I want to help young kids that are being indoctrinated like this, but do you foresee an end at all? And if you do, what does that end really look like? You know, I have to be really, really honest. I don't see, I don't really try to project, you know, an end or no end to it. I just, you know, it's kind of like when you're in hell, keep moving. Yep. Somebody gave me that advice once about a completely different issue. And I was like, oh my God, that's like a gift. When in hell, keep moving. Because eventually everything ends, right? Everything moves, everything goes away. Something else takes its stead. And that's, you know, that's the universe. That's everything, right? Movement. So when in hell, keep moving. And you know, I think that people have to 
understand that they're really fighting for their lives with this issue. A lot of people think it's a fad. They think it's just going to go away on its own, or it's just a social contagion, you know. Um, it will eventually play itself out. But, and it may stop at the level of mauling children, medically mauling children's sex, but, um, or it may not. You know, it really depends on us. We are really at a crossroads here and we have to, you know, we have to stop this. We have to find a way to reconnect with each other, you know, reconnect with our children, get them off of tech. You have to get them away from tech. You mm -hmm. have to get them re-immersed in their bodies, you know, and for yourself, you have to realize that resistance is a love story. You know, it really is. It's exhilarating to tell the truth in a sea of lies. It really, really is. It's amazing. It feels wonderful. You know, I sleep well at night, mm. you know, and I'm calling out the truth all the time. You know, people have said to me, oh, they might murder you, you know? I'm like, well, everybody's gonna die sometime. You know, I mean, I'm 65. The fact that I made it this far is awesome. You know, <laughs> what are they going to do to me? You know, <laughs> I don't really think about it. You know, it's just tell the truth. Mm. And well, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. You know, it's fun. It's exhilarating. It's great. Just tell the truth. People are so afraid of telling the truth. What might happen to their lives? You know, it's like, well, do you ever think about tell, you know how your life might look if you do tell the truth? <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, it's really pretty great. You know, and people who tell the truth hang, tend to hang out with each other and support each other, you know, and that's really great too. I've lost friends over this, you know, and I've made new friends, better friends. Yeah. You know, better quality of human beings. Yeah. When I started speaking out about this issue, I mean, I was scared at first because, like, it's a huge controversial issue. I don't even know why it's considered controversial now. Uh, it shouldn't be, but it is just like so many other issues in today's society. The more I would speak out, the more I would start getting death threats, the more I would start getting all these hate messages from people I didn't even know. And it was like, am I going to stop speaking the truth for the sake of these people trying to silence me? Or am I going to continue speaking the truth because that's my values? That's the right thing to do. I chose the right thing to do because I sleep better at night. I also know that I'm on the right side of history with this. People that are butchering and mutilating children, innocent children, they're definitely not on the right side of history. They may try and convince themselves that they are, but they're, again, living in a delusional lie and that is sad and so you know i am enormously grateful for you and your research and i saw i don't know if you saw this uh you probably did but there was a person on tucker carlson's show that was basically regurgitating all of your research and giving you no credit for it did you see that I did. Um, I really reacted, um, you know, uh, 
immediately when I saw people in my Twitter feed going, oh my God, this person is, you know, stolen Jennifer's work and, you know, he's plagiarized her and, you know, on and on and on. And I was like, you know, so I started to retweet those tweets and, um, and then um, I looked at a couple of little snippets and it seemed like he was, you know, sort of appropriating my work. And I was really pissed off because it's happened to me before. Um, and actually direct plagiarism. And um, so I was sort of, I knee jerked on that, you know, but as I watched the whole video, I realized um, he was just really promoting a lot of the same issues. I mean, he wasn't really plagiarizing my work. Um, I think that people were so pissed off and so was I because Tucker Carlson framed it like he was the first person to really do a forensic analysis of the money behind transgenderism or synthetic sex industry um and i totally get that you know because i mean here i've been doing this research for like 10 years and this guy's never written a thing about it you know and nobody even can knows who he is you know like who is this guy where did he come from who hired him and why is tucker carlson saying that nobody's you know, um, tackled this issue when, you know, my friend Kara Dansky has been on his show like four times and she's mentioned my blog, like probably every time she's been on there yeah. and that, that I follow the money. So for him to not know that is, you know, as a big media guy, it's just it's silly, you know, he does know. So, you know, so then it became like, well, why is he doing this? You know, but was it direct plagiarism? No, it was not. Um, and uh, but I just let people just take off on what they were doing because it's like you know I, I, I'm not going to control this at this point you know I just just got off of social media for a couple of days I was like I'm tired I can't you know and um, yeah it was unfortunate because you know he's got a very very large platform and had he put me on you know I could have gotten a lot of information you know out to a lot more people thank God for Megan Kelly yeah. You know, and she had, you know, she had decided to put, to put me on a while ago. And then we've been like three, four months now, um, them canceling because of the news, the news cycle, you know, like, well, I've got to cover this. We got to cover this. <laughs> Finally, you know, they said, absolutely, absolutely. And then the whole Israel thing broke out. <laughs> it's like, oh, I guess I'm getting, I'm getting, um, I'll be shoved off again, you know, but they didn't, they said, come on. So that was great, you know. Now a lot more people have information that they can work with and they can talk about. And, you know, it seems to have resonated for a lot of people. So I'm really, really grateful, you know, and she was such a great interviewer. Yeah, she really was. She was a great interviewer. I loved that conversation. I listened to it this morning, actually. <laughs> and I was like sort of preparing myself and going, no way can I match up to Megan Kelly with, with, my, with my conversation. <laughs> Uh, she's just, yeah, she's a star when it comes to that sort of stuff. I go, I'm going to try my I very best. I'm going such different questions, so it's great. Yeah, that's what I noticed as well. I, I want to ask you some different questions and not like sort of follow along with the same sort of style as Megan Kelly, but I'm not Megan Kelly, so <laughs> um, <laughs> I can try my best, you know, but I kept hearing uh, on different episodes people that she'd have on that were talking about a transgender issue, they would say, have you heard about Jennifer? Have you heard about Jennifer? And she was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to get her on. We're going to get her on. And um, I was like, so when are you going to get her on? Like, 
I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it. And then finally it dropped and I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's brilliant. But regarding the whole Tucker issue, the good thing with that, I mean, well, not really a good thing, but you being on Megan Kelly, Megan Kelly knows Tucker and hopefully that might start getting the ball rolling and Tucker Carlson can see your work and even Karadansky as well, who I've had on this show twice now. Um, love her and her work too. We've had some very, You're great. You're great. very cool conversations. But I wanted to ask you about... The Abolition of Sex. Great book. Fire. Great book. Absolutely fire. I even made a fire, video yeah. when she went on uh, Dr. Phil. And she has that one scene I just love. I don't, oh, I don't mean men. <laughs> I don't mean men. I'm just like, that's perfect. <laughs> just such a brilliant line. Uh, I, can see, and, I mean, because I know her, I can see the smoke coming out of her ears. <laughs> she was, I think like she was rather tame. The ridiculous, you know, the ridiculous play that we have to participate in just to get information out there. You know what I mean? Like you just can't come up on stage and just say, this is crap. You know? <laughs> This is crap, and here's why it's crap. Let me show you. Now, we can't do that. It hurts somebody's feelings. We can't have that. God forbid that we have someone go, oh, oh, my feelings are hurt. I mean, grow up. There's been a couple of times where I've done certain videos. I don't know about you, Jennifer, but, like, I've just gone off. Like, I've let my anger just get the best of me. And I'm going, this is so effing stupid. Just stop it. <laughs> well, I mean, I watched Kara on that show and I was like, oh my God, how is she doing that? How is she maintaining composure? Because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. There's probably <laughs> a reason where I, why. Where I'm good and where I don't go, you know? I know where I don't step. It's probably a reason why I haven't been asked onto any major show to talk about this issue or to debate it because I'll probably like <laughs> unleash <laughs> but um speaking about I guess the the insights that you've been able to give so far, especially with the Jeff Bezos scenario. And funny story, I was actually meant to speak to um Mark Benioff uh from Salesforce and <gasps> really I was, that should be I interesting was, now. <laughs> I was speaking to his team and they, this is before I started speaking out about the transgender issue. I don't think that they would, they're more than likely say no to me now for sure. <laughs> but they were, they were relatively keen and the hoops that I had to jump through just to have a conversation with this guy, it was incredible. And they sort of left me in the lurch for a long time and I never bothered following up and I'm glad that I didn't bother following up. Thanks to your research. I'm going, Oh, probably a good thing. I didn't actually speak to him or promote him on my show. So no, but, he definitely won't come on now. If you put this up. Definitely not. Definitely not. But that's probably a good thing. I don't, don't think I want to have him on now. Um, but is it just those two or who else is there that you've found? Um, 
Well, in terms of billionaires supporting both um, the gender industry, the clinics, and um, big fertility, you know, the reproductive, uh, tech reproductive market, I'm not sure. Um, I haven't, uh, I haven't found any others in my travels. Um, there are certainly other uh, um, high-powered people talking about the deconstruction of reproductive sex, like Peter Satchel in uh, the UK. He's oh, a big yeah. gay rights activist, and um, he's done. He did a TED talk actually talking about um, how sexual orientation morphs into the deconstruction of reproductive sex, male and female. Mm. Um, and that's where that they're going with this, you know. <clears throat> and then there's Petra de Sutter, who is the uh, deputy prime minister of Belgium, who's also done a TED, TED talk. He's a um, a man pretending to be a woman and appropriating womanhood for himself, uh, talking about um, technological reproduction and where it's going, where it is now, and where it's going. Um, basically into the transhumanist realm um and then of course you have martine rothblatt who is an american entrepreneur lawyer uh <clears throat> head of a biopharmaceutical corporation um has a 3d uh organ printing company and a xenotransplantation farm uh, he's best invested in artificial intelligence and wants to create is creating legal structure for artificial intelligence as persons. Um, he uh, made a robot of his wife. Created a robot of his wife. He believes that he's in, implanting her consciousness into the robot. He believes that what he calls fleshism um, is constrains humanity that we have to reach beyond fleshism and that we will and <clears throat> he's the author of the first gender bill he got together with a whole bunch of other transvestic uh, and transsexual lawyers in the UK and they formed a coalition to create legal structure so he created authored the first gender bill that all you know as a template for all of the other gender bills and so the gender thing is really not about free expression it's about transhumanist augmentation and getting legal structure in place for that um and so giving robots you know basically cyborgs uh rights this is why the whole construct of the transgender person is important because it's it's mm. it's uh, it gives the illusion that there's another type of person, you know, other than a male and a female, mm. right? So this is really important for these rights, um, and to tie that to our political apparatus and our legal structures, right? Uh, and so this is is what's going on here. And he wrote a book actually about transhumanism being the on ramp to. Uh, excuse me, transgenderism being the on-ramp to transhumanism. And he goes around and he, he lectures about this and he um, he's a big presence at Out Leadership, which is the business networking arm of the LGBT lobby. Um, <clears throat> and uh, once you see this character, you can't unsee him, you know, but he's sort of, you know, he's rather 
stealthy about what's going on here. He's also written about the uh, technological, or the future of uh, technological reproduction and virtual realities. And um, yeah, he has a whole history with uh, Williamson's Bainbridge, who is the, <clears throat> works at the Human Cyborg uh, Program at the uh, National Science Foundation, which funds like 25% of all the science projects in the United States. Um, and this guy, Williamson's Bainbridge, has, uh, you know, studied Scientology and all these other cults and mind control and uh, all sorts of, you know, gaming and artificial intelligence. And um, yeah, so, so Bainbridge's, you know, uh, techno-utopia transhumanist visions um, sort of met Rothblatt's fetish of owning womanhood for himself. Mm. Um, and so now these are escalating into um, one, a, basically a religious cult uh, that is <clears throat> indoctrinating children over technology to the idea that they can uh, transcend their humanity, their sex humanity through technology and pharmacology um, and eventually transfer human reproduction to the tech sector. This is crazy stuff. I'm speaking with uh, someone tomorrow, actually. His name's Joe Allen. He wrote a book called Dark Aeon. Transhumanism. Joe Allen! I just listened to him. His, his, uh, he was in a conference with the, with the transhumanists oh. debating the transhumanists. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Natasha Moore and uh, her husband. And <clears throat> yeah, another woman. And um, yeah. So it was very, very interesting. And he was great. I love Joe. He's he's wonderful. I, I'm actually he's um, wonderful. His book is his his book Dark Aeon is just it is so good. It is so 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 good. I've been I've been reading um, it in preparation for our conversation tomorrow, and yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> oh good! I can't wait to listen to that one. That one I think will be an amazing conversation. Like me this too, one, me too. I think this one too. has been an amazing conversation for me. To finish this up. Me too. It's been fun. I've really enjoyed this. I'm gonna to have to have you back on again so we can dive further into your your work and your research. We've got so many more questions, but so a little time to actually get to it all. Uh Jennifer, to sort of end this conversation off, where do you want people to go to find your work, your research? I'm pretty sure all my my audience knows, but for those that don't, where do you want them to go? Um, well, first, I want to thank you so much for having me on and for sharing this time with me and um, for doing what you're doing in the world. I think it's amazing. It's really, really great. And the way that you're doing it is really wonderful. Storytelling is something that is missing from our lives. And um, yeah, so people can go to the 11thhourblog.com and the 11th is numerical and I have a sub stack. Um, and that's um, under my own name, Jennifer Billick's newsletter. Yeah, so that's where I write. Well, I'll make sure that everyone knows where to go. It will be in the show description. And you're right. Stories are important now more than ever before. The right kind of story that we need to be sharing, not the wrong one. Because they are incredibly powerful and they can move and change nations as we are starting to see more and more of. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today, your wisdom, your advice, and for joining me on the Storybox podcast. Oh, that was wonderful, Jay. Thank you so much.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 